uh, I was thinking this the last couple of weeks, uh, we call this our Christmas Eve Eve service. It, it might be called the Christmas Adam service. Once I got it. What's wrong with you over here? Adam came before Eve. Ah, oh, see, way to go over here. Good team here. We, uh, those who are visiting tonight, we're, Riverbend Church is a big family. We really do love each other, and we have a lot of fun together as well. We love preaching the word and singing and worshiping, but we enjoy uh, just being together and laughing and having a good time. So I want to humor you for a few minutes, and then we'll get into the word. Um, Hayward knows this. I'm a, I'm a hound when it comes to lyrics. Uh, I want to sing truth. Uh, so um, Hayward and I are always talking about lyrics of songs. Pastor Rick, he'll come to my office. We'll talk about lyrics to what men and women are writing as we sing them. And so Christmas time is an interesting time to start listening to lyrics. Uh, uh, how many of you know those channels on your radio in your car uh, that are just all Christmas? Uh, I have several of those. And, and as I'm driving around doing errands or hospital calls, I have that on. And I got listening to some of the songs that are out there. Um, and it started all this. It started the other night. Um, the other night, uh, a group of carolers showed up on our lawn. Um, it was led by our own Saint Nick and uh, his good friend, Super Jake. They even had a, a, a Charles from England with them. Um, uh, these showed up on our lawn, and, and we just happened to be a, a, awake. It was 10.30 at night on a Saturday night. But we were awake, and uh, they came to the door, and uh, for a while I thought about turning on the sprinklers, but I didn't think that was very pastoral, so we reframed them that. But eventually they began to start singing, and it, it was really, really sweet. Um, and they sang a few songs, and finally they got to the song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Well, that's a really interesting song, and I began to get nervous if they were going to get to the second verse. Um, the song moves from being a very Christmassy quite, to quite a demanding song. Do you, do you remember the second part? Whoever wrote this is, is kind of different. He says, um, they're demanding figgy, uh, figgy pudding. Figgy pudding, and they, they say that over and over as the payment for this unrequested service on your lawn. And, and I thought, I, I don't have figgy pudding. I don't even know what it is, and I don't think I want to eat it. Um, so it's an interesting song as you listen to go, go back and listen to that. Andy Williams, we all love Andy Williams. Most of us grew up uh, hearing him sing. It's the most wonderful time of year. It's the most wonderful time of year. I was listening to this in the truck the other day. I was driving, and I think the Christmas season really is the most wonderful time of the year at, at times. But the song goes after it tells you that it's the most wonderful time of year. It says, there are parties to host, marshmallows to toast. It's a little sticky, but... Um, and then he says this, and scary ghost stories to tell. Well, wait, what? Is this guy missing Halloween? Um, I, I just, I, I not heard that before. And I go, scary, does anybody ever told scary stories at Christmas time? But that one ended up there. I thought that was quite strange. One that's popular in the South, and you can own this or not, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Grandma's family starts off doing pretty good. Um, they're trying to do the right thing. Uh, she wants to leave and go home, and they ask her to stay behind because it wasn't safe. She'd been hitting the eggnog pretty hard. 
but instead of someone being responsible and taking her home themselves, they said, oh, she'll be fine. You know this, right? Well, she wasn't fine. She barely gets a few steps off the front porch, and she gets run over by Santa Claus. <laughs> this is somewhat disturbing. And in the title, as I'm driving the truck the other day, the title, and I look for singulars and plurals, you know, as Greek guys, we're always thinking about that. The title is, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. I think all eight of them hit her, if you think about it. And probably a sleigh on top of that, so we gotta, we got to probably get that right. Um, one other song, or several others, that really struck me um, was 12 Days of Christmas. You know that song, don't you? The 12 Days of Christmas. It's a sweet song. The writer talks about her true love. Um, and I think they had good intentions, but it seems like this person is receiving a whole lot of birds. Um, if you count up all the days, it's a lot, and, and I think this is maybe grounds for a breakup. You know, you, I mean, you can only take so many birds. Listen, it, it starts with a partridge in a pear tree. I'm not sure how you get all that in there, but um, partridge in a pear tree and finishes off with seven swimming swans. So the good math, mathematician of myself, I began to count how many birds were in this song. There's 23 birds in this song. You times that times 12 days, it's 276 birds. What are you going to do with 276 birds? Well, then I got thinking, as I went a little farther with it, well, you might have to cook them because they bring 50 drummers, pipers, da- dancing ladies, leaping lords, milks, mating, and the same person brought them over later in the week, so you, you needed something to eat for that. But honestly, when you sing the song, you're not really thinking about that a whole lot because you're ready to yell, five golden rings. You know, you're all ready to do that. You don't catch how many birds are in that. One other one that caught my attention was up on the housetop. This is a little bit of an older one. Apparently, whoever wrote this was not concerned with content. They were more concerned with rhyming. It says, ho, 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 who wouldn't go? Well, go where, I thought. Where where are you supposed to go? Is this up on the housetop? Um, Then it talks about click, click. I, I don't know if he's got a bomb or that's a camera going off or his knees are going out. The rest of the song describes Santa giving gifts of tacks and whips to the kids. I don't know that kids really need that. And I, there's also all kinds of liability problems in that. I talked to Pastor Brian about that. And he said, yeah, we can't do that one. Um, Santa Claus is coming to town. This one's a tough theologically. Um, at some point, Santa Claus becomes all-knowing Chris Kringle. Now, I'm not a cop or in law enforcement, but multiple names and aliases is probably a problem. He has an infinite knowledge of everyone in the world. And I think kids everywhere have spent years in a state of paranoia with fear, thinking that all this stuff's going to be tallied tallied up and weighed over them. And I have come to the conclusion Santa's a legalist. (laughs) There's no grace. It's either coal or you get something. So I'm not sure we probably want to sing that. And and it's just a bit creepy in our new society that Santa knows where you're sleeping. I mean, does he have cameras in the toys? Does he pay off the parents? What's the secret? Uh, I, it just doesn't work well with the privacy laws anymore. Um, oh, Christmas tree. Some of us that um, are not on the environmental side probably did not really think through this song a whole lot. Um, this guy, whoever this is that writes this, he really loves his Christmas trees. So he starts out and says, Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, such pleasure do you bring me. 
Okay, nice. He, he, I can see that. You look at the tree. It brings you pleasure. Next phrase. Bring to us all the joy, both joy and glee. Okay, sure, joy, glee, get that. My wife really likes her tree. It's cool. Then it goes like this. A symbol of goodwill and love. But then I start thinking, he does know this is a tree. And then finally he says, no one alive spreads cheer so well. Well, honestly, no one alive? I mean, did the Sierra Club write this? Uh, I mean, who's protecting this tree? And then, and then you can kind of see right after that song came the song Noel. And I could see a bunch of environmentalists coming in and talking about climate change because there's no well, you know, and anyway. <laughs> movies aren't any better. We were watching one of our famous favorite movies and it told us that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing well I've heard you sing so um, I don't know if that's true Um, he also said you have such a pretty face you should be on a Christmas card I've been getting a lot of your cards (laughs) it's good okay um (laughs) And then he said this, and I think Buddy the Elf is a universalist. He said, there's room for everyone on the nice list. Um, so, again, I think we have a theological plan there. I did learn a, a really great date for my wife out of this movie, and so this is what I wrote to her the other day. I said, I planned out our whole day. First, we will make snow angels for two hours, and then we'll go ice skating, and then we'll eat a whole roll of t- uh, Toll House cookie dough as fast as we can, and then to finish, we'll snuggle. She hasn't responded yet. Um, there's lots of things in Christmas songs that get you. Um, time and words change, don't they, um, over time? Uh, we thank the Lord that our Bibles don't. Uh, but, but Christmas songs do. Uh, in be- it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Take a look in the five and ten. How many people know what that is? It's a dollar tree. That's what it is. It's what it's become. It's become the Dollar Tree now. And, and then have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make your Yuletide, your Yuletide gay. Well, I looked that term up. I had to drop the last one off because it wasn't good. It's a German for a wild hunt. So uh, anyway, fun to think about some of these lyrics that are out there and some of the things that go on. But uh, all fun and speaking and having fun with this uh the word of god is a great thing to lean on uh god's word doesn't change because god doesn't change the bible says god is immutable it means he does not have to change because he does not need to change you and i need to change we we're born sinners god has to uh regenerate us by his spirit make us new creatures he has to changes and we're always changing as we grow in the christian life but but god does and so his word doesn't it isn't though we believe that god doesn't change but we have to help his word evolve and um, be more practical and so forth we we believe that his word like god is immutable it doesn't need to change it spans all of time and so as i was thinking about tonight just for the last few minutes um, before we sing our last song and light some candles and then uh, spend some time fellowship together. I wanted to give you several words, uh, just words to keep on your mind and some scripture passages that would remind you. And these are words that aren't going to change for the Christian 
Uh, our theology isn't going to shift away from these, at least at this church it is not. But they're words that are very meaningful to us. They, they teach us great truths about who God is. The first word, and I think they're going up behind me with a verse with it, is the word incarnation. And I know that's a big word for some of the little ones in here, but it's a great word. Incarnation teaches us that the God of heaven stepped out of heaven, God of all creation and all universe, and he added to his deity flesh, and he became man. And in Philippians chapter uh, 2 teaches that he humbled himself and took up this flesh upon him. But this verse is such a great verse, John 1.14 and the word, that's, that's Jesus Christ. John 1, 1 said that um, John used the word, the term word, logos, as a term of the all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful. It was a great Greek term to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John uses that word down through the prologue. And here he says, the word became flesh. I mean, you just have to stop and ponder that thought for a minute that God would step out of heaven and add flesh. You heard me say this so many times, you can't kill God and somebody needed to die for us. And so the Lord Jesus Christ takes on flesh and he became flesh. And look at this, he even dwelt among us, John says. Uh, he starts his epistle, First John, that we walked with him, we, we saw him, we touched him, we were with him. He was physically here. And he says, we saw him and we saw his glory. We, we dealt among us and we saw his glory. One of your translations may say, we beheld. I love that word. It means we took in the full scoop of who he was. He wasn't just some man. He's full of grace and truth. And so incarnation, what a great term. Moms, dads, grandparents. What a great term to talk to your children about. Help them understand that. We don't want to throw out all the theological terms in order to try to dumb things down. Teach your children these truths. Bring them up just a shelf or two and help them grasp these things. Incarnation, when our great God and Savior becomes flesh, lives on this earth, and dies for us. The second one is the virgin birth. What an important thing this is. This teaches us that God came, on, came down to earth. He took on flesh he dwelt among us, but he did it in such a way that he was unstained by humanity. That's such an important truth. If we don't have a Savior who is unstained by sin, he who knew no sin became sin for us. If we don't have one who did not know sin, we do not have a Savior. So this is very, very important to teach and to keep these terms going, a virgin birth. We believe in it. The world thinks we're crazy because they only believe what they can see in front of them. But sal uh, salvation comes by faith. We believe the word of God. And by faith, though we were not there, we believe that this was a virgin birth. And this verse tells us how it took place. The angel said to her, because remember Mary's going, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man. I'm betrothed to Joseph. How is this going to happen? And here the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High. You have the whole Trinity in this verse, don't you? You have the Spirit of God, the God the Father and the Holy Child now in the womb, the work of the Trinity to protect this child from our humanity. If he has any of our DNA, if he has any of our sinfulness in him, he cannot die for us. And so it says, for that reason, that God did this, God placed the child in the womb of Mary 
And for that reason, the holy child, absent of sin, very important term there, absent of sin, shall be called the Son of God. So, virgin birth, what a great term. Third, the word sinners. You say, well, that's not very Christmassy. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. Because if you're a sinner, you love Christmas. Sinner is a, a very important term to us. Romans 3.23 says, For how many? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's always that person. The writers write this way by the inspiration of Scripture because there's always that person. Oh, not me. No, no, all. All have sinned. And so sinners is very important. And the Bible tells us that, that when Joseph was talking to the angels that he was to name his name Jesus because he was come to save us from our sins. So sinners are a very important aspect. Sin means we have not lived up to God's standard. We've missed the mark. And it isn't just, well, I tried. It's a, it's a willful miss of the mark. Our, our, our sin nature just gets a hold of us. And the Bible says we go astray at birth. I've told you this before. My mom, when we had little ones, she would call up and say, how are my little, my little angels doing? I go, they're fallen. You know, pray for them. Uh, <laughs> You know, we're born, all of us, we're born sinners. So this is a great term because Christmas is just going to get material for you if you're not a sinner. You, You rejoice over Christmas because you are a sinner and that one came to save sinners. Jesus says, look, I didn't come for the righteous. What he's saying, if you think you're righteous, I didn't come for you because there were no righteous. There's none righteous, no, not one. Paul writes in Romans chapter three. But Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. So if you're a sinner, this is good news. Christmas is a great, great time of year. So it's good to teach your children this. You might have to battle grandma on this a little bit because it's hard for them to get their minds around that little angel's a sinner, but you have to help them. We have to point people to the fact that they're sinners. Fourth, Messiah. What an important word this is. Matthew chapter 16, there's discussion going on, and you know Jesus, he's entreating truth out of his disciples, and he says, well, who do men say that I am? And this discussion breaks out, and some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and so forth. And Peter pops up, as he often does as a spokesman for the group, and he says this, Peter, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You know, Jesus responded and said, Peter, you didn't come up without your own. The Father helped you with that. And what he made is a tremendous statement here. You are the Christ. You are the long-expected one. You are the long-awaited one. You are the one that Genesis 3 spoke of. You are the one that all the prophets spoke about. You are the one we have waited for. And then he throws in, you're the son of the living God. And that gave him equality to the Father. Because whatever the Son does, the Father does. And that's why they hated Jesus. He asked the Pharisees, why are you going to trying to stone me? Which of my good works are you going to stone me for? And he said, they said, for none of them, because you made yourself out to be equal with God, because he always called himself the Son of God. And so this passage is an overwhelming passage. It teaches us that Peter had the right answer. You are the Messiah. Luke chapter 7, just another verse, just listen to this. Verse 19, summing Summoning the two disciples, John the Baptist, he sent them to the Lord saying, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? John's in prison now. He had exposed the sin of wicked Herod and he was going to kill him. And 
And he's there. And so when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? They want to know. They want to make sure Jesus is this Messiah. And that, the Bible says at that very time he cured many people of diseases, of afflictions, evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And then he, Jesus, answered John's disciples and said to them, Go report to John, for you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And that was the key. And of course, this all comes right out of the book of Isaiah. All of them knew that this was what the Messiah would say. And then verse 23 says, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. You can talk about God all you want in society, can't you? Bring up Jesus, it's offensive. Many people are offended by the Lord Jesus. Many times I've been asked to open in prayer at different events, sporting events, and told you cannot say the name Jesus. It's offensive. He is the Messiah. He's the long-expected one. He is equal with the Father, and he shares his glory. The next word is Savior. What a tremendous word that this is. Matthew 1, 21, I quoted this early. We, she will bear a son. She's telling, he's, the angel is telling Joseph in his dream because he doesn't know what to do because his, wife, his wife-to-be turned up pregnant. He says, he, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's a Savior. Look, look, friend, if you don't need a Savior, you're in the wrong place. Because that's what we sing about, teach about, this is what we're all about. We need a Savior. It, it, it captures us. And, and it comes back to some of these other words. We know that our Savior came and took on flesh, went through the incarnation. We know that we're sinners, so we need someone to save us. What a tremendous term. The apostles do some amazing uh, wordage with this term Savior by the work of the Holy Spirit. Titus chapter 3, 4 through 6 says this. Now listen very carefully. This is a Christmas verse. But when the kindness of God our Savior appeared to mankind. Whew. There's a lot of people don't like that verse. Most religions reject Jesus as God. But here the apostle writes, but when the kindness of God our Savior And his love for mankind appeared. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done, but according to his mercy. So a Savior comes and does what we cannot do. A Savior doesn't need any help. Do you realize that? Imagine a guy showing up and saying, well, look, um, I really can't save you on my own. We're going to have to do this together. (laughs) You're in trouble. I mean, you are just in tremendous problems. A Savior doesn't need your help. That's why the writer says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done. There's nothing we can do to inherit this in any way, but according to His mercy. And He regenerates us, renews us by the work of the Holy Spirit, in which He poured out richly or lavishly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So He starts the passage with God our Savior, ends with Jesus Christ our Savior, linking them together as the same person. That's a lot of theology. But see, these are terms we've got to know. These are got terms we've got to know. Next, gift. The word gift is an important word of this time of year, isn't it? In the next few days, I know we're going to open some gifts on Christmas Eve and some on Christmas, and family will be there. We have boys in town and their wives, and we're just going to have a great time giving gifts. 
But there's no greater gift than what Jesus Christ has done. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Well, that's the result of our sin, being born sinners and desiring sin. The result is death. And let me just make one note here. This is why we try to deal with sin, even as believers. Sin always kills things. We have to remember that. It'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your parenting. It'll kill your job. It'll kill everything. That's the goal of sin. That's why we don't mess with it. We repent of it. We turn from it. We say, oh God, I don't want to be a part of this. But the verse doesn't end there, does it? There's an aversive conjunction here when you look at this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an amazing gift. No strings attached. Nothing I can do to gain it from my own righteous deeds. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 come along this. You know these verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one boasts. And the the verse 10 tells us that he prepared these good works in advance for us. So even after salvation, we give him the credit. A couple more words, lordship. Lordship is an important word to believers. Lord, the word Lord, kyrios, is, is, is the word there that we use, means ruler, master, owner. As Christians, we believe in the lordship of, the, of Jesus Christ. We believe he's our ruler. We believe we belong to him. He purchased us with his blood. He has the right to us. So lordship is important. I think we see this in the story Uh, in the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, after this angel talks with Joseph in this dream, he awoke from his sleep, notice this, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, and but kept her as a virgin. He was part, he believed God, he believed his role was to do what God commanded him to do, and he honored that, and he kept her a virgin until she gave birth. To the son, and he called his name Jesus, just exactly what the angel told him to do, who was speaking on behalf of God, sent from God. This is what I want you to do, Joseph. And Joseph says, absolutely. Mary, after the stunning news, stunning news in verse 35, that this, this God the Father, God the Son, uh, God the Spirit will place God the Son in your womb. Um, after that stunning news in verse 38, Mary says, Behold, the, bo- the bondservant of, your, of the Lord. I belong to you. I'm, I'm yours forever, is what that means. May it be done to me according to your word. That's, that's a very important word for us as Christians. We believe in the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is our master. We bow to him, and, and, we, and we strive by the Spirit's tra- strength to be his bond slaves to him Angels is a wonderful word, isn't it? Angels we have heard on high. We love singing those old Christmas hymns and carols that teach us great truth about God. Well, angels are a great study. It would be a good study to take when the seminary class rolls along and we teach on angelology. I think it's combined with several other theologies. But angelology is the study of these beings that God created. It certainly would take in Satan and his third of the angels he took with him when he fell. But it also takes in what the Bible calls his elect angels, his chosen angels. And that's what appears on this dark night in in Luke chapter 2. It's these elect angels, as we saw Sunday, who had just come from the presence of God. They were glowing with his glory. 
And I love Psalms 103. It's a, it's a wonderful psalm to study. But in the end of that psalm, he really brings in the role of angels in, 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 in a sort of amazing way. And here's just one verse out of that psalm. Psalms 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Angels are important. We don't, you know, you can get your little precious moment angel or whatever. There's a lot of stuff out there like that, isn't there? There's all kinds of crazy teaching on angels. Angels are worshipped. We know they were doing that in the first century because Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was not an angel. He was above the angels. So we know they were worshipping angels. And most likely demonic stuff was going on there. But these angels, God's elect angels, worship God. At the moment when he speaks, they obey. I, I really enjoy studying them because they often teach us how we are to react to God. How about wise men? Just two more here. Wise men. Wise men are amazing, aren't they? These guys, uh, we spoke about them just a little bit. They probably were affected by Daniel's ministry back in the 6th century. Um, the great teaching that the Ancient of Days was coming. Um, and, and here these men come, and, and they're wise men, aren't they? We, we even see the way they conduct themselves with Herod and, and, and how they worship and honor this very uh, probably peasant family uh, that don't have much. God uses them to supply wealth for them to probably be able to travel to Egypt and, and to flee Herod and so forth. These men are wise, but they're wise because they're seeking God. I, I think... So often, people are not wise because they reject God. In fact, they become ignorant, the Bible says. Wise men, for us to want to be wise men and women, Christ is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you want to be wise, if you want to pursue God, understand that Christ is the very power of God. He's the logos, the power and wisdom of God of God. And Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the knowledge. The worship of God is the beginning of knowledge. You say, where do I start, Scott? Start bending your knee to God. Start there. And he will lead you to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where wise men and women, wise boys and girls come. They are people who pursue the Christ. They pursue the Christ. Are you wise? Or are you ignorant today? Do you pursue Christ? Or do you let your life, just your flesh, just take you wherever it wants you to do? No, wise men, wise women, wise children, we pursue the Christ. And then lastly, we'll finish this one. We, I hit this fairly hard on Sunday. These are my favorite terms in the Christmas, Christmas story. Glory and peace. Glory and peace. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Here the whole angels come in with this anthem because one angel isn't enough to express what was going on so God sends this whole host uh, probably almost uncountable host of the glory to God in the highest glory to God in the highest that's our job as Christians on Christmas and Easter and February 2nd or any other day is to say you are to be glorified that's our job. That's what we do. That's what God has given us, the great role to do, to glorify God. And then we realize that peace comes down. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Not whom we are pleased with, with whom he is pleased. I'm often 
spellbound at times the people God chooses to save. Wow, Lord. Me, starting with me. me. You know, why me? But God gets the glory from that. And so when we think about Christmas, think about glory and peace. There's so much in those songs as we sing them that relates to glory to God. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of us to adore him. Come, let us adore him. Do you adore him? Is he worthy of your praise? And when we do that, when God has captured us by our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us, we receive peace. Peace eternally, peace with one another. He puts us in a family to live together in harmony. And so, glory and peace. These are just some terms. We could have picked out many more, um, but I trust that you will think on these things throughout your Christmas season. In just a moment here, the men are going to come forward and work their way down the aisles, and you should have a candle, I hope, and they're going to start lighting the end candle. So if you're on the end of a road, they're going to light your candle, and then you're going to light the person next to you. Uh, Moms, dads, grandparents, you've got children, um, please don't burn our church down. So please... Just, just be careful. We want to do this. We, we're trying, we, we want to be outside, but we weren't able to do that. So these men are coming down the aisle right now. I'm going to pray as they make their way down there. Hayward's going to bring a song out, a great song that was written by uh, uh, lyrics that were helped written by somebody in this audience. And so he'll explain that a little more. So let's pray and then we'll light some candles. Father, thank you for this time together. This has been precious. Uh, we thank you that we enjoy... Uh, Christmas as a family, a church family. We, we thank you for coming, Lord Jesus, and stepping out of heaven and stepping into that womb of Mary and then into that manger and then into a life of people hating you and, and mocking you and eventually killing you, Lord. We, we praise you for that. It sounds weird to the world, but we are so grateful for your incarnation and for your perfect, impeccable life and your perfect death and resurrection on our behalf. So, Lord, Christmas gets way more exciting, Lord, when we examine truth that doesn't change. Christmas songs and carols will have their funny lyrics and so forth, and we laugh at them. But when we turn to the Scriptures, we're amazed at this truth that does not change because our God does not change. And so we know where we can always find you. You are not like the shifting shadows. You stand firm. So, Lord, thank you for a few minutes together, Lord. Bless our rest of our worship and our fellowship together. In Jesus' name, amen.